Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on March the 8th, 2015. I hope you're all hanging on to your sanity as you go through the massive changes at present and all those that you sense are coming down the pike pretty shortly, in fact, as the big plan changes are put into effect. Of course, changes on a grand scale take lots of years, many years, to plan and organize and have agreements upon and all the, uh, the the legal stuff put into all the different documentations for bills and so on and treaties that are signed all the time. And therefore, whatever happens that this year, for instance, we was planned long, long ago. It's very much like the, the, the start of the Kyoto Protocols, etc., to do with climate change and global warming and blah, 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 uh, to get the carbon taxes all through down the pike. Too many years to get to that stage. And of course, this year, they'll pretty well sign the first major treaty to do with the big, big cash funding of it globally and implement at home all the different taxes you'll have to pay for energy, carbon, etc., etc., etc. Just for surviving and living, in fact, you're going to pay for it all. And as I've mentioned so many times, your excess spending money, the stuff you used to spend on all the junk that they put in the, in the Walmarts and so on, will be um, spent on things that are necessities and taxes. That's where it's all supposed to go. And that also decreases your consumption, which is quite happy for those who want to have the planet to themselves hundreds of years down the road, where there's lots of resources and you're not around anymore, or, nor your offspring for that matter. The world is planned, and there are changes that are planned on a grand scale, fantastic scale, all the time, in fact. People think, too, that wars spontaneously happen, and it isn't until you really look into the, all the facts and details, many of which are at least maybe 50 to 80 years later, you find out it took sometimes 50, 60 years to work up into the start of a particular war, to get everyone prepared for it, to get the, the groundwork laid and all the, the different um, uh, necessities for c- conducting such a long, prolonged war would, would to cost, etc., and how much even the inflation would be at that period down the road when you started all, and what the profit returns would be, etc., etc. Massive planning goes into all of this. Nothing in the world is spontaneous, really. Nothing is normal. Occasional accidents are, personal and otherwise, but that's about it. Uh, everything else is planned, like a big business plan, and that's how the world is really run. Uh, the organized plan society has to have plans all the time. And I've mentioned so many times over the years, if you just go into this, the guys who set up the League of Nations, a private organization that set up the League of Nations, then the United Nations, and, and then funded all the NGOs through their foundations, because these are big business leaders that, that, um, that were behind it all in private groups. And uh, they had all the agendas set out then and to bring in a, a eugenically controlled scientific society, scientifically controlled society, uh, where gradually and gradually they'd appear to give you more rights and freedoms in certain areas, but take all the real rights away from you in the process. And that's where we are today. It's worked awfully well. And those living through those generations of change never really understand it, They've never thought about it deeply because they've never been told to think about it deeply. They simply adapt and adapt to changes. And so they take the Darwinian idea of adaptation and they go with it, run with it, basically. It works awfully well. And 
everyone's adapting all the time to the changes, to the, even to the things which are designed to do them in eventually down the road. Now, the greatest proof that the world is always planned ahead of events that are meant to be passed into law and so on uh, is the fact that it doesn't matter how much you know about the scams of the same groups that push for this and pressurize governments in the past for their particular agenda. It doesn't matter what you know about them and what they've done before. Uh, the agenda still goes through. Uh, so that all that matters really is the agenda. That's all you have to know. Uh, these agendas will not stop because most of the public go along with the, the scientific advice on it all. And it, even if it, didn't, it goes against uh, the facts that the, the science is shoved out in your face, it doesn't go with, I should say, what you have witnessed yourself, uh, then you'll adopt to it, you'll adapt to it, I should say, and accept their opinions as your own. And then I've never been a fan of the big crowd because the big crowd uh, can argue initially on things, but eventually they become the solidified crowd with a solidified thought, and they've all accepted what they've been told. And if you don't join them, you see that they can see you, they can spot you, and they, 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 they call you an oddball or a Luddite or something for holding on to other convictions that are now obsolete. And how can convictions be obsolete? How can something that can be right one day be wrong the next? Well, that happens all the time, even with what you say in the terms that you use to say things. It's all it's done by man himself. You see those who plan society, including your vocabulary as well, and the legal system, etc., etc. So we're constantly being manipulated uh, with our thoughts and the way we say things. That's neuroscience, psycholinguistics, etc. And uh, we adapt into it. If you don't adapt into it, the crowd itself who have adapted will turn on you, whether it comes down to opinions or things presented as facts or anything else, doesn't matter. And they eventually go along with all the big agendas because uh, they, they, they don't have enough confidence individually amongst the crowd in themselves. They feel confident when they're in a massive group all buying together like sheep, you see. That's the truth of society. Always has been though. The biggest problem that the elite groups have had in the past has been individualism. I've always said that because it's true. They actually publish articles about that on the higher levels. Even the United Nations said the problem really was the individual, not the mass. It's easier to control the masses because they want to all belong and dress and look the same and say all the same things. They have no individuality, you see. And therefore, it was easy to control the masses in what they call a democracy because they will follow the experts, the authorized experts that are put out for them to follow. And Bertrand Russell, who was a big promoter of all the system we're living in today, including the culture creation part of it and all the changes that went from his era all through the 30s and 40s, 50s, 60s, up to the present. It was all designed by elite groups, by the way. And I've gone through that in, and you'll find them at the articles before I've, I've read on the air on, uh, in, the, in the archive section at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. So you can go on a big journey of all this history, uh, and uh, the only satisfaction you'll have is knowing it yourself. Uh, because, as I say, the facts don't count when missions are, have been accomplished, and other ones which are underway right now will be accomplished because there's no input from the public. Uh, they don't want that to start with. 
and um, and the public too had have really given over their responsibility for their own actions uh, individually to the mass, uh, which is then for put forth through the government that they think they've elected. So things work awfully, awfully well for those who plan the future, you know, and the men of vision, as they call themselves, amongst other terms too. But we're taught to deny our own senses and experiences. For instance, I've kept my own charts of the, the weather uh, this winter, as I did last year too. And I've got the different stations that put out the weather reports, even from the government. And every night consistently... Uh, they've, they've underreported my area and the temperatures that it went down to at nights and during the day too, for that matter, but at nights by about at least 15 to 25 degrees every night. And yet their newscasters will tell them on their TV, everybody watches TV, I don't. And the, the, everybody looks up on the internet too and they'll, they'll, they'll tell you from three different uh, stations this is what it's going to be tonight. And you know something? The next morning, they never revise what, what it actually was. They keep it at what they, they predicted it was going to be from the previous evening or afternoon. And that's what goes down in the books as fact, you see. And, that, and then so in April, they'll come out and tell us this is the warmest winter we've had for, 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 for centuries, even though uh, we thought it was colder. And they can play with your head so easily today And folk believe what they're told But so that will come, you wait and see You wait and see, yeah And as I say, I keep uh, my own temperature gauges here My thermometers, non-electronic by the way And uh, I have different ones outside And I measure them every night For instance, on Friday night They said it was going to be a, 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 a minus of maybe four degrees, maybe six maximum uh, Fahrenheit uh, where I am, and it, and the next all through the night and, and next morning into eight o'clock in the morning, it was twenty four degrees below Fahrenheit. How can you make such miscalculations, and why don't you adjust it in the morning for the official records? Well, you see, you've already been taught that you're, the planet's still warming up because of climate change, because big, big things are planned this year. There have been years in the, in the planning, but now they must get all signed into action so that you pay, 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 and change your entire way of living, folks. From everything you purchase to the energy taxes that'll be in every little bar of chocolate, and what it costs to make that thing, and so on, right down to your heating, uh, cooking, everything uh, is going to be taxed. Everything that's transported is going to be taxed into the ground, basically. And I'll touch on that tonight. But I say most folk will never really go along with their own experiences, even when they're freezing to death. They'll say. Well, the toll was, was, was quite mild last night. It must have just been me. I had to put on with three different sweaters, you know. It must have been me. And that's how we, we do it, you see. That's how we do it. It's so simple, isn't it? Now, when you accept their word on anything today, how many things are they lying to you about? Think about that. All for a particular agenda, and there's many agendas on the go at the same time for the planned society. The scientifically controlled society by experts and social workers and 
psychologists and psychiatrists, neuroscientists and behaviorists, and from birth to death, all coming together, all these hundreds and maybe even thousands of things worldwide coming together right now. And you're kept with, alive with trivia, and you're, you're kept alive with lots of entertainment and what the stars are doing and who's having an affair with who and all that rubbish. Because you're, you're being kept off of the track, the track that might take you somewhere. You're off in the waysides, and that's where they want you to be. A non-participant and even conscious awareness on a daily basis of how things really are where it's going and why it's all planned that way and who's behind it all. So really the facts don't count when you're talking to the masses as such. I mentioned a book years ago, I think it was called something like Straight and Crooked Thinking, which went through the logic used by people themselves and how it's a very old book, but it was, it was written about uh, maybe the late 1800s, early 1900s, and they went into, uh, the author went into how if you got a tramp in Hyde Park in England, London, on a soapbox in the park spouting off his particular philosophy, most people would ridicule them and laugh at them and all the rest of them. Uh, but if you got the same guy and dress him up and gave him a shave and all the rest of it, and then put lots of propaganda to become a new Einstein before you ever saw him. That's how they launched Einstein, same way. And I don't know if he's a tramp or not. But anyway, the fact is, you can dress him up, dress him in the clothes, make him a, 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 a genius before anyone's ever seen him, and then put him on some big live show. People will, will listen to every word he says. When he's spouting the same philosophy as he would be as a tramp in the park on a soapbox. There's nothing they don't know about the general population, how our minds work. And so when they, when, when they bring out uh, professionals, supposedly, who all have political agendas, and they know where the, their, their income's coming from, too, and their career's going if they play ball, especially today, uh, then there's always a, a different agenda behind whatever they're telling you. Always, folks. And that's just the way it is. But as I say, the masses will never really want to know because they have a choice then. If they know and understand things and they don't like it, it makes them uncomfortable and they'll shy away from anything which is uncomfortable to them. They seek the, what they're told today is positive. They seek the positive and don't look at the negative. Uh, in other words, it's the same old stories of the viewers for years, but now it's under positive and negative. And it's, um, it's optimism. Be optimistic about things. You know, and, and leave things to, of great decisions and weighty matters to your betters, the ones who live above you, and don't use toilets like you do, and etc., etc. They're they're way beyond that. They're so so, so wonderful and, and and intelligent, etc. And from better bloodlines and and all that stuff. That's how you're trained to to see these people, and that's what you believe as well. But they're just people with agendas. They know where their bread is buttered, all these different scientists. Scientists come out, remember, hoping, when they come out from all the university and got all their degrees and so on, they, they hope to get grants to study something, like the mating habits of the fiery ant or something. I mean, who cares what it is? They're hoping to get grants and, and have a long, long career living off, generally, as taxpayer 
funded grants and some private corporations if there's some military use to it. So when you have a climate thing on the go that's to change all of society, then all the approved scientists that they have who are authorized to, to be on board, in other words, they're all the positive ones who go along with the agenda. And it's what's amazing too is that from the earliest dawn of history, from the ancient times, they've talked about how the effect of the sun and heat and warmth that gives us life and all the rest of it, and crops grow. The sun is no, hasn't even been factored into climate change at all. It's absent from all their climate change models on their wonderful little computers. Because there's a different agenda. The agenda is to blame all of you and to get you to all believe that you're the fault of it all and what's happening. Not, nothing to do with weather manipulation or anything else. It's all your fault. It's a sad thing to say about professional people, but it's all around you. There's not a, a doctor around, I'm sure, who hasn't seen the youngsters get their, their triple MMRs and so on, and X amount of them come back within a week. The child suddenly regressed. Uh, and uh, as get more infantile rather than start to, to grow up a little, and but they, they can they can always placate themselves and keep themselves happy uh, and exonerate themselves, I should say, by saying, well, you know, the medical book, the medical history, the experts at the top above them would tell us if there's new information. So therefore, it couldn't have been that that caused it. Humans are wonderful. It's saving their own ego and, and especially their paycheck and status. And that goes into any profession, including, including the whole climate scam, folks. Because so much is riding on this scientific control of the world. And the scientists all depend on their big benefactors, the money bags at the top, who really are their employer and their boss. It's a sad thing. People will compromise anything, and, and they often and very often do bend incredible truths to suit their own personal egos and the paychecks. I have always noticed throughout my life that when big agendas are at stake, then if they can accomplish their mission, like 9-11, whatever, even though the the, the project for New American Century Group published all the countries they wanted to take down back in the 90s. They published in the 90s. Uh, then, uh, and it went all forward the same way it was supposed to go after that, after 9-11. It doesn't matter, you see, what as long as the mission gets accomplished, once it, it starts, you see, that's it. You, you, can't, you won't stop it or, or change it by knowing all the facts. And all the facts... You can find afterwards it won't change anything that's already happened. doesn't matter. The goal's been achieved. The mission's accomplished. And lies are always used to, to achieve great goals by those who rule over the masses. It's always the same story down through history. When you think of all the terms you hear, at least weekly, often daily on the news, until you're accustomed with terms, which you don't really understand. But when they bring agendas, bring forth that part of the plan with that term in it, 
it seems quite natural because you've heard it said so many times. So repetition, much speaking, makes it really happen, makes it more real and more factual and true to you, even though you've never looked into it at all. Back in the 60s and the 70s, it was going to be the Ice Age, the coming Ice Age. Of course, everyone gets in on the act. The professors got in on the act then too. Oh, there's too many folk, and, and by God, blah, blah, and most of them will perish because there's too many folk to start with, and, and, and so on. And when the Ice Age didn't materialize, and it actually warmed up uh, for a few years, then they went back to the drawing board, gave it to the Club of Rome to think up a good idea, and they said that man would be the problem for be global warming and, and so on, that'd be the problem. And so... In both cases, Hollywood gets in the act too to, to terrify you end of the world scenarios. You're going to fright to death or you're going to freeze to death, etc. And um, Make Room, Make Room, which was the book which they put um, Soil and Green out on in the movie version. Uh, it really was Make Room. The whole point of it was there's too many people, too many of you who are not so important, you see. And this is what, of course, the, the, the climate treaty could be signed this year, the, the, this big one, one of the, the, the grand finales, you might see it on the whole path to all the other ones they'll add to it down the road. This is the big one to get all the money together and to really start changing how we live individually and collectively as well. And what we get taught in the schools and what you're going to get brainwashed with as well. Now, this article here talks about the Paris Climate Talks. Canada's contribution to United Nations Conference dependent on the provinces. In Canada, uh, they have states which are called provinces. And um, it's beautiful too, where even the United Nations years ago talked about working on your local areas, etc., uh, for all these changes they wanted to come into effect uh, down the road. And they started all the different NGOs, which are funded by the big foundations, plus your taxpayers' money. All private organizations, by the way, that help plan and push the future that you're going to live through. And all the changes they want to bring in. So, here you are. Canada's contribution to the United Nations Conference depend on the provinces. And this, this article here goes on to talk about... Canada's contribution to major United Nations climate change conference later this year will be heavily dependent on actions by the territorial governments and provinces. Provincial governments confirm environment Canada has been collecting greenhouse gas reduction measures. So greenhouse gas reduction measures, right? Greenhouse, what they call greenhouse gases today are natural things that save you from getting fried by radiation. Anyway, from across the country, as the federal government works towards an end-of-March deadline to ante up for the summit in Paris later this year. Says Canada is actively preparing its intended nationally determined contribution. A spokesperson for Environment Minister Leona Aglukak said in a recent email. As this is a national contribution, the provinces and territories hold many levers for taking action on emissions. So the minister is seeking feedback from her counterparts on how initiatives in their jurisdictions will factor into Canada's overall commitment. What's the point in voting for a national government or even your local government when they're all signed on already into a private corporation called the United Nations and all of its different departments, which are set up by the biggest corporations on the planet? You see, what's the point in it? 
You've got no input into it at all. All the NGOs come forward. They're authorized what they call environmental groups. You mean people who care about an environment like the rest of you don't care about an environment? Everything's a joke, but it doesn't matter. Jokes are, are all part of the, the big agenda. And it says here that uh, Aglukak would not agree to an interview on the subject over the last month, and her office provided no additional details. So that's how much you get in a democracy, no information at all. Nor is it yet certain the federal government will meet the March 31 deadline set by the Paris Conference organisers. But with the Conservatives under pressure for refusing to regulate the oil and gas sector, the country's fastest growing source of greenhouse gas emissions, federal-provincial cooperation may be Ottawa's only way to save face on the world stage. So try and make sure it's say as well. It's between the provinces and the feds, you see. It's nothing to do with you. All the effects of this have got nothing to do with you. When you start passing all these laws and taxes and so on. Countries participating in the COP21, as December's UN Climate Conference is known, have been asked to relay their intended nationally determined contributions this month. Did you hear anything about that? Has been any surveys put out the general population? You don't matter. The pros don't count, you see, in reality. These will serve as a starting point for negotiations that are supposed to conclude with a successor to what was the 2009 Copenhagen Accord. Under the Copenhagen Agreement, the Harper government committed Canada to cut greenhouse gas emissions 17% below 2005 levels by the year 2020. A national target even Environmental Canada has concluded won't be met. Well, they could do that if they, if they ask half of us to just commit suicide and don't breathe anymore. However, some of Canada's biggest provinces are meeting or exceeding their own goals for the GHG reductions, global greenhouse gases, and are increasingly taking matters into their own hands. Quebec Minister Philippe Coulard was in France this week where French President Francois Holland publicly stated he would ensure that Quebec is not only present, but also that it has the opportunity to make its voice heard at the climate conference. There's been a real shift in where the energy is ever since British Columbia, Manitoba, Ontario and Quebec were among a group of subnational governments who met on the sidelines of a climate conference in Lima, Peru last December, said Glenn Murray, Ontario's Minister of Environment and Climate Change. The Premiers will meet next month in Quebec City at the invitation of Coulard to discuss climate change and a national energy strategy. A wider group of subnationals, including California, and several New England states will meet in July in Toronto, where they hope participants from across the Americas can agree on an 80% GHG reduction target from 1990 levels by the year 2050. At the national level, what we are hoping, and I think Minister Aglukak has opened up the door to this now, is that those provincial provinces and plans become reflected in Canada's contribution for Paris, Murray said in an interview. David Herschel, Quebec's Minister for Sustainable Development and Environment and Climate Change, said that international climate deals can't be coming from the top down. What we're hoping and what we've demanded is that the provincial processes already in place, that these not only be taken into consideration by the feds, but also that we work collectively in setting Canada's contribution for the next global climate treaty, Hertel said in an interview Tuesday. It just goes on, but it's, it's my belief is very strong is that there will be sub, subnational governments and corporations and the non-governmental organization community, that's all these private groups, all funded by the big foundations, that will deliver this, etc., etc. And then you go into this article here. It says, um, 
United Nations New Center, 2015 is pivotal for finalizing universal climate change agreement, Ban tells member states. And it says, uh, this year is pivotal for, is pivotal for global action on climate change, says Secretary General Ban Ki-moon, said today in New York, emphasizing that all major advances of 2014 have set the stage for success in 2015. I hate reading these things because they're just basically handouts for the press. That's what they are. It doesn't go into all the different agreements that have already pre-negotiated with all your uh, presidents and prime ministers to do with you and your taxes. And, here, and here's what the, the, the phrase, our challenge is now is clear to finalize a meaningful universal agreement on climate change. Uh, God's there indeed, eh? Mr. Ban told member states at a briefing on relevant progress as momentum builds towards a meeting to be held in Paris this December when leaders are expected to reach the landmark agreement treaty. Addressing climate change is essential for realizing sustainable development. If we fail to adequately address climate change, we will be unable to build a world that supports a life of dignity for all. All who? Ben says that joining Mr. Ban at the briefing was President of the UN General Assembly, Sam Kutisa, as well as the permanent representatives of Peru and France. Today's briefing follows the 20th Conference of the, Par- the Parties, COP they call it, Conference of the Parties, uh, to the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change. So it's the 20th conference over the years. Held in Lima last December, where member states reached a Lima call for climate action, paving the way for a new, ambitious and university building binding climate agreement to be adopted Paris this December. And when you go into it, they talk about, uh, it, it, they briefly touch on the cost. You see, the rest of it is just rubbish, and you've heard it all before, and you've got a lot more to hear again as they push all this stuff through and down your throats. But they go on about the finance part of it. Who's going to finance it all? Well, you were going to finance it all. It was always planned this 20-odd years ago, even before that. You were going to finance it all. Because the whole point is to change your whole way of living. And they need an excuse to do it. So this is the one they picked. And that's what the Club of Rome went into. That was their job, to pick reasons for bringing this whole system in of control. What would they believe? You know, what, what can we use? And this is what they hit on. Anyway... It says here that uh, to that end, Mr. Ban urged all pledging countries to deliver the contributions as soon as possible. Climate finance is critical not only for catalyzing action, but for building the political trust needed to reach a universal agreement in Paris. He said, emphasizing that developed countries need to set out a clear trajectory for achieving the goal of mobilizing $100 billion per year by 2020. Resilience must be strengthened, especially in the small island states and least developed countries. No time to waste and so on, all the usual stuff that tell you, so, you know, time is of the urgency. And this is the stuff that is going to, they're trying to keep out the, out your heads altogether, the cost factor of all this stuff. In fact, most of you don't even know what it's about, because you've never followed any of it, you see. And what's really behind it all. But I've done all that again. If you go into cuttingthroughmedias.com, enter the archive section. I've given lots of talks over the years on the facts that's been published on all of this, these particular topics and so on, where they wanted to take this, why, etc. But uh, this is uh, the rubbish they give the public. Uh, and if you notice, there's no public input into this at all. There's no, none of you get an opinion on it. None of you get any say into all of this. You're just out the picture altogether. 
So what's the point in voting local politicians into anything? When they're all on board already under different agreements and treaties to go along with all this stuff. And it's like this with a lot of the, the big agendas, big global agenda. It's all worked the same way, you see. Now what's the West, West of Britain, that is, has to learn rather quickly is that just like Britain, that now has thousands of folk, and I've read the stories over the years, thousands dying off in their own homes, not homeless, but in their own homes, because they don't have enough uh, heating credits for the winter, and they freeze to death. Uh, that's going to come across the world now, as they cut out coal fires and everything else and so on, and eventually come down to so many credits under this guise of socialism for all. And managing us all uh, So many credits to heat yourselves and be, Whatever method you use It's going to be restricted to a certain amount Except for depending on your status Within the community Are you essential to the community Or are you not essential That already happens in hospitals How they label you for resuscitation etc So anyway that's how it's all going to come down the pike uh, With all of this um, The different taxes, energy, carbon and so on uh, That you're going to have to pay Very shortly actually And It'll affect your whole way of living in every different, every, every area. You see, everything that's transported, the cost will fly up. And you pay at the bottom. You, know, you pay for everything, the cost of all manufacture, all the way to delivery. You pay for it all, of course. And another technique they've used for, for a long, long time is creating national forests, national parks, etc., uh, when you look into the UN treaties on, on these parks, they, they call them biospheres at one time. That was a popular thing they tried to popularize from United Nations. But uh, it's just the same old old thing of putting vast areas of really great resources, rich resources, aside. And if possible, if it's full corner, get them off the land by different means and, and methods. And... And label it really a, a preserved paradise, basically. Except when you go into the different treaties assigned at the United Nations for these, uh, they have special designations for particular big, uh, massive international corporations to come in and drill and take out the resources if need be, you see. So it's just that you can't walk through it or, or and so on. This article is just one of many over the years, and it says, continue its pattern of bypassing Congress and acting unilaterally through administrative fiat. The Obama White House in February designated three new areas as national monuments. While two of the designations, one in Illinois, the other in Hawaii, involve relatively small parcels of land, the designation of 21,000 acres of Browns Canyon in Colorado represents a significant federal lockup of land. The move was welcomed by, again, that religious group called environmentalists and that other religious group called Democrats. Senator Michael Bennett told the Washington Times that the canyon has a rugged and unique beauty that attracts outdoor enthusiasts from around the world. But he added that Coloradians have been very clear they wanted this protection. So they wanted it. The people, they wanted it, you see. Sure. Along with assurances that existing uses will be protected, etc. This is what Ken Buck uh, doesn't trust administration's assurances and he's scolded the president for making the designation without the consent of Congress. I have to laugh listening to a lot of shows when Americans talk about their, 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 their rights and so on and the checks and balances and all of that. And you watch the way it's been run like dictatorships for such a long time. Uh, it's, and they keep talking about getting America back. I always think back to what? To when? You know? 
Anyway, this, this, this congressman, uh, Ken Buck, says he's not a king, talking about Obama. No more acting like King Barack, Buck told the Times. This is not how we do things in the U.S. Actions like this lead to American people uh, to, to view Mr. Obama's presidency as an imperial presidency. Well, does it really matter if nothing's done about it? Contrary to Buck's assertions, exactly how things are done in the U.S., beginning with the designation of Utah's Grand Staircase Escalante as a national monument in 1996, the Clinton-Obama administrations have used the Antiquities Act of 1906 to create national monuments without the formal approval of state officials or members of the congressional delegation from state where the designations were made. In its eight years in office, the Bush administration made no effort to overturn monument designations on federal land in Utah. So it says that Colorado Cattlemen's Association doesn't put much stock in the administration's assurances either. Together with the Public Lands Council, uh, the CAA, according to FowlerTribune.com, once the following points clarified in the monument designations. Then they go through it all, what they want done. The people who are going to be affected by all this uh, motorized access must continue to be allowed for, for permanent administration, range improvement, and water maintenance. Well, that's very important if you've got livestock. An explicit language must be written into the designation that allows cattle and sheep producers to trail their livestock to, to and from federal grazing allotments through portions of the designated areas. So, uh, and it goes on and on. But the thing is, this has been happening for forever. And uh, you're, you're constantly living, I keep telling you, you're living through a script, a massive agenda that was set in stone before you were born. And that's how things really are run, like a big long-term business goal. That's how it's done. And this article here is about the culture falling apart. Although it doesn't say that because it, it, it gives out this... Uh, uh, rah-rah type of article here New sex ed curriculum Gets mixed reviews from parents Now, the way the cultural industries always works For this particular Again, the same agenda It's got many facets, it's all encompassing Is to push the envelope In any particular area A bit at a time A bit at a time Many times in each generation I mean, And accumulatively uh, you can't complain about anything down the road because you've all adapted into the new new normals, new normalities, new norms, I call them. But it says, some parents say the new curriculum introduces a material at too young an age, including sexual pictures, sexting in grade four and in grade seven, and information about sexually transmitted diseases and oral and anal sex. And it says, um, and it gives you the usual stuff about who's complaining and so on. But it says the interior's new sex ed curriculum was unveiled Monday to mixed reviews from parents with some lauding changes to the almost two-decade-old material as long overdue. Yeah, but two decades ago, they were pushing the envelope then to get the present stuff in. You understand? And it wasn't coming from the parents. It says, and others vowed a showdown over what they consider age-inappropriate content. Education Minister Liz Sandals expected some parental opposition, but reiterated that the materials will be implemented this fall as planned. It says, I anticipate there will be members of various religions who may object to one thing or other, but the curriculum is the curriculum that will be taught in Ontario schools, said Sandals. It's amazing. Again, too, this is a technique that they use in the Delphi and various other techniques. So only people who are into religions 
may object. I mean, you, you won't get any other folk who classify themselves as normal in some way or other objecting either. Is that, is that the whole idea? You see how they narrow it all down? And they've already given, given uh, negative connotations to religions, you see. So you don't get, get lumped in with them, do you? On Monday, the Liberals unveiled the first update to the province's health curriculum since 1998. So antiquated was the existing syllabus that did not even reflect the legalization of same-sex marriage in Canada more than a decade ago. The update also covers cyber safety, including sexting, as well as consent, and puts the curriculum in line with what's been taught in other provinces. So if it's been taught in other provinces, it's okay here. Is, is that the idea? They use the same technique and, and excuse uh, when they do it nationally and say, well, this country's doing it, you know. Well, that makes it all right. Whatever it is, whatever the topic. These are all techniques, you see. It's like movies. I've mentioned how formulas are used in movies to write the movies. It's always the same stories rehashed. And you must go through the formula. It's the same thing with the big agendas. They have formulas, you see. And they use them over and over again. And it said, Toronto mum Stephanie Baptiste, a counsellor with Toronto Public Health, it's important to talk to children about things like sexting in grade four, because even though they likely don't have a cell phone, they do have access to devices early and often, and often without supervision. Parents, she added, will always play a role no matter what schools teach. Really? Now, Bertrand Russell, who helped design the whole system of this type of indoctrination where the state would give them the new moralities to the children, Experimented in, in, in experimental schools in the 20s and 30s with permission of the, the uh, actually the Crown. <laughs> you got a chart to try that because it was otherwise it would be illegal, the things he wanted to push in these little schools. And he said at the time, with the proper socialist type of indoctrination, a scientific indoctrination, when the children go back to their parents in, in, in the evening or afternoon, whatever input that comes from their parents will be totally ignored and the state will give them their new morality. So, uh, again, everything's the same formula, same big agendas. It says curriculum comes from the province, but the values always come from the family. What a joke. However, as many as 2,000 parents plan to protest outside Queen's Park Tuesday, upset at what they feel is too much information at too young an age, as well as a lack of meaningful parental consultation. And... Then they give you more about who's complaining and so on and so on, different individual stories. But um, what they did say here, some of the people complained, said, um, in a television interview, Sandals said the curriculum underwent significant consultation with many groups over the years. What, 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 groups, what, what groups are they talking about? And Premier Kathleen Wynne told reporters Monday the government is very committed to this. Sandals said she has, she has not labelled parents who object as zealots. <clears throat> that categorization has come from the media. See, they all work together, you see. Says, we understand that parents are concerned and they want to know what their children are learning, she added. Adding materials were treated by experts. Again, experts, it's okay then. Uh, based on evidence, the curriculum that will be used in schools by September is largely the same as what was proposed five years ago, then scrapped by then-Premier Dalton McGuinty due to an outcry by a vocal minority of social conservatives, a minority. And these conservatives, they're bad, like religious folk, you see. Everything you read has got the, the psycholinguistics in it. And other folk are complaining about it too. Another guy... Fania Siddiqui 
of coordinator of the Greater Toronto Group Coalition of Concerned Parents uh, said includes parents of faith and, and no faith from every walk of life. But the ministry is calling us a fringe group. We are parents. We are the most important stakeholders in our children's lives. Again, we call Luddites and all the rest of it, you see. Wynne, who has long championed a revised curriculum, told reporters everything in the update is age-appropriate and it's done in a way children can understand, adding it's important for children as young as... I always say children, say, using this term kids. Kid is a young goat, remember. As young as grade one to learn about different lifestyles and different family configurations. You see what I'm saying? See, indoctrination must always start very young. And they always make sure they update it according to their big plans for the future, what they want to change down the road, prepare that, that those children who are going to get the big, big changes to see for the, what they're going to experience in life. We've all had uh, indoctrinations if you went to school. And what they're going to say here in, in, in their talks and so on, their lectures, proper names for body parts and genitals will be taught in grade one, something child abuse investigators have long urged. But they also use a lot of slang too, I'm sure. The first, I think they already do the slang stuff in their lectures. The first mention of the concept of same-sex relationships will be introduced in grade three students. So when they're about the age of eight, they'll be taught, taught about same-sex relationships. Grade four students will talk, learn about online safety, text messaging, and sexual pictures, as well as puberty. Grade six students will be taught about what masturbation is and will learn about healthy relationships and consent. But again, everything's a healthy relationship now, according to this curriculum, isn't it? And they'll be talking about the risks of sexually transmitted diseases and oral and anal sex. But along with that, of course, will be all the, the, the pleasures of it at the same time. I'm sure of that, because that's really what all these big agendas are for. And if you go into the history of all this kind of stuff to do with sex, uh, it's very, very old uh, with their big agendas. This is an interesting article here, because you see, uh, this is a guy who's been uh, implicated in helping design, uh, design this, even though the, the present group dealing with it say he didn't have any a hand in designing this. This man is called Ben Levin. And it says, Ben Levin case casts a shadow over the new sex ed curriculum. And it says here that... Um, her crackdown on the mischief at the Toronto District School Board is bold and long overdue. Her grasp of education is a result of many years as a trustee with the Interior Public School Boards Association. That said, I don't envy her ta- the task of bringing the new sex ed curriculum. The Liberals botched their previous attempt in 2010 to revamp the cur- curriculum. It was flawed, poorly thought out, and widely age-inappropriate. I guess it's all appropriate now, though. It was seen as being a way of using the school curriculum to promote a social agenda. My goodness, was that blatant that actually folks say this is a social agenda here. Now we find out that the Deputy Minister of Education at that time, Ben Levin, is, pre- is preparing to plead guilty to child pornography charges. This is the guy who helped set it up. According to my Toronto Sun colleague, Joe Warmington, Levin made a plea arrangement with the Crown and will formally acknowledge his guilt to three of seven charges when he goes to court March 3rd. He's seeking character references to support him with the hope of getting a lenient sentence. The timing couldn't be worse for Wynne, Sandals and et al. Just as they're rolling out the new sex ed curriculum, we're reminded that the person at the helm of the ministry the last time around is facing serious sex charges relating to children. In his column Wednesday, Warmington reports one of the charges as counselling a sexual assault. 
Levin advises positive character witnesses to say, I'm aware that during these chats he counselled an undercover police officer posing as the mother of a child to sexually assault a child for him in his letter to his would-be supporters. This casts the whole sex ed curriculum in a new light. While Sandals said she believes Levin had very little to do with the development of the new programme, it's impossible to believe he didn't have input. He was a deputy minister at the time. Thousands of ordinary parents, not homophobic bigots, as some would have you, have you believe, raised concerns that the curriculum was age-inappropriate. It introduced sexual concepts such as anal and oral intercourse at too early an age. It was outrage over uh, those kinds of missteps that forced Premier um, Minister Dalton McGinty, he was a Premier on tour, to scrap the curriculum. Few parents argue sex ed should not be taught in schools. They just want it to be done in a sensitive way at an age when children have started to ask questions about it. Late Wednesday, a spokesman for Sandals put out an email to clarify Sandals' comment, where she said, uh, Ben Levin had no involvement in the development of the content of the curriculum. Curriculum is developed by subject experts and is, <laughs> subject experts, and is based on research in addition to consultations with a wide array of people, including teachers, parents and students, said Nilani uh, Logiswaran. But it says, yep, but he was still the Deputy Prime Minister. <laughs> That's in reply to what she said. So, it doesn't really matter. I mean, the parents themselves have been contaminated with years of indoctrination through their movies and what they're watching. Until each time the envelope was pushed, they don't really object to it because they're watching such stuff that was banned years ago in their, in their general homes across the, the country. Because that was a big agenda, you see. And after many talks on this before, uh, so it really doesn't matter, does it? It's going to go ahead regardless. Then this article here says, the former Ontario Deputy Education Minister Benjamin Levin has pleaded guilty to three child pornography-related charges in Toronto court. Levin, who is also a University of Toronto professor, entered a guilty plea for making written child pornography, counselling a person to commit a sexual assault, and possession of child pornography. He was originally charged with seven child pornography-related offences. The investigation that led to Levin's July 2013 arrest began in mid-2012 after officials in Toronto were contacted by authorities in New Zealand and later police in London, Ontario. This is from late 2004 to early 2007. Levin held the post of Deputy Education Minister, and was on Premier Kathleen Wynne's transition team as she took office. He also served as Manitoba's Deputy Minister of Advanced Education and Deputy Minister of Education, Training and Youth between 1999 and 2002. Levin has been back in the spotlight in recent days as Ontario released the updated sex education curriculum. He goes on and on, but I mean, this is nothing unusual because that's generally the ones who lead the charges, who are actually selected by their bosses high above them, uh, to, to lead these particular charges to promote certain things in society. It was quite amusing to me because there's nothing new and all. I've watched this my whole life long as they pushed the envelope and pushed the envelope. And I've read all the so-called experts at the time who said how they'd have to do it and how they'd have to push it in certain ways and so on and what the real objectives were. I mean, Russell himself said, I think he can promote pre-pubertal sex, hypersensitized folk to sexual activity. 
uh, and make it really addictive, almost like a, an addictive uh, thing, <clears throat> then um, that people wouldn't get married down the roads and they wouldn't have children. That was part of the, the big eugenics program at the time. Now, whenever you see a name in the paper of a social advocate for something, a guy who's really been promoted at the top from in universities and is in political departments too for your government, you have to really delve into to their record. Because they're not just local, you see, or even national. They're international. And what they do nationally for their different agendas is done internationally at the same time. Now, this 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 particular guy I was talking about uh, is actually promoted by Harvard Education Publishing Group. And one of the books, this uh, particular guy who's now charged with his pedophilia and, and, and so on, Charles Porn, etc., is uh, he's Harvard? It says how to change five thousand schools—a practical and positive approach to, to, for leading change at every level. A very interesting title, actually, because you see these are all in words for the pervs that push everything, and the whole of society is changing, including all the green movements and the climate change movements. Change. Remember Obama's election run? Change is good, and the, the schmucks didn't even know what he meant by it. Yeah. These are all the end terms that are used for pushing all big agendas, big global agendas through. So this book that um, Ben Levin wrote, uh, this professor-political minister, an advisor, uh, an educational advisor, isn't just used in Canada. Uh, the stuff that he's put out there, here's Harvard Publishing Group promoting all this stuff. And it says, how to change 5,000 schools. Ben Levin, former Deputy Minister of Education for the province of Ontario, draws on his experience overseeing major system-wide education reforms in Canada and England. So he's involved in this stuff. They set forth a refreshingly positive, pragmatic and optimistic approach to leading educational change at all levels. And then they go on to praise it. It says, praise, this book provides a powerfully optimistic view of what can happen when policymakers, system leaders, you should look at these terms, folks. Things that you think you know are really you, you, you get the wrong impression of. System leaders and educators operate around common point of view about student learning and school improvement, and so on and so on. Uh, so it's all testimonials from from um, different professors across the states, Harvard and different places and so on, and Canada, different uh, university professors, uh, uh, praising this guy's work, you see, this this guy who's accused of very a kind of perversion at the moment. Mind you, paedophilia and child sex won't want to be a, a, a bad connotations in the future because they'll do away with it altogether when it becomes normalised. So it'll be a normal thing, and they're actually pushing for that normalisation. Uh, well, if the child's consented, it's okay. Uh, I don't know if you can, how you can consent when you're two or three years old, but there you go. That's the real world we live in. It's pretty disgusting, you know. But you can do anything with the general population if you understand the the, the, the psychology and behavioristic techniques to use on them, psycho uh, neurology, uh, psycholinguistics, all of that kind of stuff. Pavlovian training. It's so easy to do, and as I say, you just incrementally do it to, to each generation, and within each generation, you keep pushing the envelope in a whole bunch of different different areas where you want them all to live in little. Uh, 10 foot by 10 feet homes in the future Get them used to the idea By promoting it as a great way to save us all Or freezing to death to save the world uh, you, you, you promote it and pro- push, 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 you see That's how it's done 
big agendas, all from the same sources, by the way. All of them. Any particular agenda on its going off on its own track wouldn't even get past the, the gates if it wasn't authorized from the top. And so we're down the tubes and they've got all the bail-ins approved and signed into law and in effect if they need to use them. Uh, because they, they knew all this the, the, when they signed the, the GATT agreement, the General Agreement on Trade and Tariffs by the World Trade Organization and so on. All private organizations belong to the same group that set up the United Nations. But when they passed all that and, and, and had this free trade agreement where really uh, the first world countries have to pay all the taxes for exports and everything, but the, the ones who are up and coming, as they call them, it's still called China, a developing country, even though it's the biggest manufacturer, is the manufacturer for the world. Uh, they, they, they pay how many taxes uh, because they've got all these benefits and so on. And that's why they can also uh, keep their emissions pretty high and poisonous because they're given so many exemptions. But you in the first world are not allowed that anymore. They knew we'd get to this stage today where we're, we're, we're going to be broke in the West as all your jobs go over to China. They knew that before they signed all these agreements. It was, it was, it was decided and talked about and debated long before you heard of GATT, uh, NAFTA, uh, Free Trade, uh, World Trade Organization, or anything else. They knew what they were going to bring the Western world uh, into. Because service economies can only float for a little while when you're actually producing nothing. You're just buying things in and reselling them down to the bottom. So the countries now because governments never have enough money. They've never balanced any budget. There's no intention to ever balance any any budget. Never was. Never ever was. But uh, here's from the Chronicle Herald, it's called. Uh, it says, Ottawa's, that's, you know, for, for Canada's uh, capital, uh, or, or government, GM shares could help balance budget. Since the Harper government's pushed to deliver a balanced budget, I mean, you hear that your whole life long, but they never balance anything. Despite the burden of low oil prices, has attracted fresh attention to a potential stockpile of federal cash, a multi-billion dollar taxpayer stake in the auto business. Most folks don't even know that your money was put into the auto business to bail them out. Just like the banks, even in, especially in Canada, they kept it quiet. They bailed out a whole bunch of banks in Canada. The government's remaining 73.4 million shares in General Motors are now worth more than $3.4 billion in total thanks to the combined effect of a solid stock price and a weakened Canadian dollar. See how they, pick, they work everything in to get the right prices and everything else, including devaluing your dollar uh, for the right things they want to do, for the big boys who own the country. So in fact, once the Canadian exchange rate is factored in the, uh, on the U.S. price stock, its per share value is higher than it had been in more than five years. Isn't that just a wonderful coincidence? The government needs to make $4 billion in proceeds from its remaining shares to break even on its initial investment. Well, that's how they call it when they bailed them all out, eh? It was a government investment. Which would then leave it only $600 million short if it sold the stock at the current value. So they're selling it off and they'll still have $600 million uh, to pay. To, to, to break even, which of course comes from you again. Earlier this month, Ottawa became the only North American government still holding stock acquired as part of the 2009 effect to bail out the then sputtering automaker, it says. 
Ontario's recent sale of its last GM holdings and uh, may add to the federal government's temptation to offload some or all of its own stock. The US government sold the last of its stake in December 2013. So these are what are called uh, assets. Where the taxpayer money is used in any big project, they call it the assets, and it's national uh, assets, etc. Sometimes they'll say essential asset, assets like roads and things like that, which have been selling off for years, especially in the States and now Britain. You know, the taxpayer pays for all the construction and they hand it all over for a, a, a penny <laughs> to their pals to buy off and make it private. And the public keep paying uh, the upkeep of it, maintenance and so on, and the boys who now own it get all the profits. That's what they call public-private partnerships. And then this article here from the Toronto Star, it's, um, it says Mayor John Tory <coughs> on down, Torontonians nod approvingly wherever the suggestion is made to sell public assets to pay for public debt. At first glance, this makes sense, especially to those who want government finances run like those of the mythical, hard-working Canadian family. One envelope for cash in, a second for cash out that never spends more than it makes. Despite the fact that this is delusional, a personal debt in Canada has never been so high. It's a starting point for any number of political announcements, for the reason so many seem based on fantasy. But now the public sector isn't just open for businesses, up for sale. Faced with growing deficits and shrinking taxes, taxes are bad, bad, bad. Governments are seeing what they might have to f- uh, sell to fetch a buck. Ontario is mulling, unloading that perennial cash cow, the LCBO. That's a liquor, in, uh, liquor uh, Canada uh, board organization. It's, it's a crown corporation, they call it, a public asset. To raise some revenues that would help in the short run that cost ever more. And um, the CBC is considering selling the Broadcast Centre, that's the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, its massive facility just north of the CN Tower, to make up for the massive cuts instituted by the Prime Minister Stephen Harper. And uh, Toronto and District School Board is drawing up a list of buildings it can sell to cover its fiscal shortfall. And Toronto's, Toronto's sidewalks have been rented to advertisers through a trumped-up street furniture program that delivers a little more than constant commercials. Subway stations, as well as the signs of the TTC rolling stock, buses, streetcars and subway, are now available to the highest bidder. A couple of years ago, the Ontario Lottery and Gaming Corporation turned Union Station into a temporary likeness of a gambling casino. And it says, Toronto even has an agency called Build Toronto, whose task is to find buyers for various city-owned properties. It lost money last year, of course, even though the local real estate market is amongst the hottest in the world. Ironically, perhaps we could well uh, come to thank Bill Toronto one day for its incompetence instead of selling land they should, should be buying it. And, um, and this goes on into different things that have happened uh, and what's happening as they sell off all these different things which really belongs supposedly to the, the general public for all your, for all the taxes you've been paying all along, you see. Uh, and again, this, this article real is, is really amazing too. When the, the the housing bubble happened in the states, as it called the housing bubble, and they were sub- selling all these subprime mortgages and and, and vastly inflated prices, uh, factual prices of the homes. It's never really stopped Canada, you see. 
from doing the same thing. And in Toronto, it says, the real cost of a $1 million home, Toronto's buyers resort to subprime loans as prices soar. They've been warning them for the last few years that it's way too overpriced, all their, all, all their real estate. But there's too many dogs in the fight with this one making high profits off it all uh, to, to, to ever change it. But little shacks, basically, in Toronto could be worth a, a million dollars now. They've been through this bubble before, and it was bust before, but the, the same characters, the same dogs in the fight keep coming back with the same cons and get it going. And it's quite something. And just tonight, to, to, to end it all, I'll mention this article from Smart City of the Future. And it's from the magazine Salon, which generally is very left-wing. It doesn't matter. The, 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 the story's pretty good. And it's a warning about what the smart city really means. And it gives you a place to... I mean, it gives you, a, it gives you an idea of how they're promoting it all. Imagine a world without waste, playing where the train always comes in time, where streets are ploughed before snow even stops falling, and watchful surveillance cameras have sent rates of petty crime plunging and so on and so on. That's how it's been sold. But it goes into the, how it's really taken away all your, your rights and how really you have to have ID, which is recognised in the main computers to allow you into buildings and, and even maybe stores down the road even buy what you need to live on and so on uh, and, and never mind all the multi of cameras absolutely everywhere for, for constant surveillance constant constant surveillance and remember to a smart city also means in the house surveillance as well see tyrants at the top can never relax until they know what you're what you've been doing every second of every day that's what they, they really want constant constant surveillance and it's all pretty well here. This is going to be a lot worse, actually. Uh, but folk will adapt into it, and it'll be hell on earth. That's the big plan, you see, when all of you are monitored all the time. And the elite, of course, the elite themselves are exempt from all of that. They have their places across the world in the country. They fly from the, from one small airport to the other on private jets. Uh, they don't travel uh, with, with the, in the same systems that you travel in. Or even the same roads, in fact, some of them. But uh, this is the the future's planned. You're living through a script. And people don't participate in, in designing their own future. Their own future, their personal future. Therefore, others will do it for you. And they have done. That's why they like the mass man. That's why they promote this thing called democracy. And that's why they, they want you all to believe that you belong to the big group. You know, you dress the same. You have the same ideas. You've adopted the same views on everything, even the updates on them, and you're politically correct, you see. You're the ideal citizen. It shows you how science can create it. It's, it's done a fantastic job on most folk who actually blush if certain topics are, come into to the conversation. Just the names of things. Because they've been Pavlovian indoctrinated into responses that Pavlov would admire. They work awfully well. You go back to your default position, as as other ones in the neuroscience field have talked about. You're set with default positions, so it stops you from going any further on a particular topic, or even thinking about it, or even inquiring about it. Beautiful, isn't it? For those that rule, that is. 
or from Hamish Marcel from Ontario, Canada, this good night may your God or your gods go with you.